Welcome to Shatter by Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Olivia Robertson and Corinne Pellish. This week, Liz Neary joins us as we talk through gender-specific microaggressions. We are on. Olivia, hello. Hey, Corinne. How are you today? This is one of our last recording sessions of me in Pittsburgh and you in DC. Soon yes. we'll be time zones apart. I know. For everyone who doesn't know, Corinne is moving to Colorado very soon and pursuing yes. another role there. Yes. So still with Rockwell, but I will be in a new geography. So, so we'll exciting. Be- We'll be even more remote, but maybe we'll bring you some live episodes when Olivia and I are together. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. and hey, you know what? It's a new pool or new pool of people to be able to pull from. So. Right. All of a sudden, we're going to be in the Rocky Mountain region. We're going to get some different folks. We'll see who we get on the podcast. Yes, exactly. Today, we are going to be talking through microaggressions in the workplace very heavy topic, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, as we, as we go about the discussion today, Olivia and I just want to make sure we set the stage, right? This is a conversation that needs to be handled with, I think a lot of care and intention because it's not finger pointing or anything. Cause a lot of these are unintentional comments, but they do add up for the people that they're targeted towards. We're not coming after anyone. Um, You know, people who have used these, these terms or these um, phrases, I've used these phrases unintentionally. So it's not a a targeted conversation. It's really just a, let's make sure we're more aware of our language as we approach people um, personally and professionally, just to show up with a little bit more love and grace. Right. And, and also for our listeners, please give us a little bit of grace as well. We are attempting to articulate this as best we can. So if we something comes off a little bit awkward or maybe not received as well as it should be, know that we are also trying our best to give these topics justice. So with that, Corinne, can you please kick it off? Let's define what a microaggression is. Yeah. So this is a term that's thrown out very frequently. Uh, So we figured it would be a really great place to start uh, in terms of what is a microaggression. So Mm -hmm. for those that do not know, a microaggression is a form of everyday discrimination. Things like sexism or racism that can be subtle or explicit, intentional or unintentional. And please note, we we primarily in this episode are going to be discussing discussing female-centric microaggressions, but we will cover race-centric microaggressions because we that is a whole other um, box that we want to make sure that we give the appropriate time to but the focus for today really is on female-centric microaggressions so for the listeners that have not maybe experienced microaggressions we're going to run through some of the most common forms and we've we've bucketized these so as we go through those we'll let you know like hey this is like the first broad category second broad category on through I believe there's four of them today yes um But one thing to note is the individual we're going to be communicating with and interviewing and getting her experiences is Liz Neary. And she's going to be joining us later on in the the episode today once Olivia and I walk us through this categorization of Set the stage. We set the stage. We're going to set the stage. So. So Olivia, what is the first bucket 
of microaggressions that we've identified. Assuming traditional gender roles is one of the major microaggressions that women are the victims of. So when I mean gender roles, this is different phrases or comments being made to you similar to something that women are typically doing in the household. So household work, taking notes, doing quote unquote assistant work, maybe doing, um, helping with getting coffee. Yes, exactly. So one of the examples that comes to mind, my, my brother works for a software company and his uh, chief technology officer is a female and there was a client in the office and that individual asked the CTO to go grab them some coffee. The CTO was like, all right, go gra- goes and grabs them coffee and then comes and kicks off the meeting just to set the oh stage. Of like, do you realize the, the assumption you just made about who I am and what I bring to this meeting? Uh, so that's something all too often that women are, are tasked with, right? Is like, Olivia, do you mind just taking the notes? You've got pretty handwriting. Talk about a slice of humble pie on that one. Yeah, I, I <laughs> think that's- make that good. mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's, yeah, that first buck, I mean, area is really office housework. It's, mm-hmm. it's assumed that it's the female's um, role to maybe take on some of those errands or- Right, or like clean items. up after a meeting. Yeah. Excuse me, why should I clean up over you? Like- <laughs> Right. We should all be cleaning up after ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that or even getting, getting office material or like meeting notes and things ready, yes. like setting up for a meeting, changing around the room or just making sure that the meeting should be in the, the configuration that it should be. Yes, absolutely. Great point. Uh, another area within this traditional uh, gender norms bucket is comments around family planning specific to women. So pregnancy related comments or hormone related comments, um, things like hormonal surge or time of the month. Um, Oh, you're pregnant. Was it planned? So comments all around your um, decision to have children or not to have children, the timing of children. um, There's a lot of uh, thoughts and comments that are just said in the workplace that may, may, maybe not are, are the most welcoming. How about being over-emotional mm. when making comments? Yes. 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 Over-emotional yes. or not emotional enough. Um, you know, I mean, Olivia, we're going to get into this in one of our episodes all around anger in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that's focused on, oh, you know, Corinne's just off her rocker today. But in reality, maybe it's a justified frustration. Right. Um, so yeah. And there's also comments around if a female is, is pregnant um, comments around like, Oh, maybe she, you know, she's almost due. Let's not stress her out even more. It's just discounting that the individual's uh, ability is correlated to their hormone level. And that is not a correlation that needs to be drawn in the workplace. Right. And especially to take away opportunities for individuals just because maybe they're in a different state than the others. So I'm just thinking of who knows, maybe there's an executive presentation or something that would be seen as relatively stressful and someone being overlooked because they're pregnant. Yes. Not wanting to stress them out, quote unquote. Yes. 
we can't assume someone is capable or incapable of something or doesn't want to do something because of uh, hormones, uh, having a child, like that's not your place to honestly comment on at all. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. So also let's talk through family planning microaggressions. So these type of comments um, typically are comments that are being made to women quite often because women obviously are the ones having the children. Um, maybe they're perceived as being more family centric. Mm -hmm. So comments like, when are you having kids? Haven't mm -hmm. you been with your boyfriend or girlfriend for X, Y, Z years, so many years? Why aren't you married mm -hmm. yet? Why shouldn't you be married yet? Why, why don't you have a ring yet? Yeah. Um, ring. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. I used to get this one all the time. Well, aren't you going to get married soon? It's about that time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, or even things like, oh, you're so pretty. Shouldn't you have a boyfriend? I bet you have a ton of boyfriends. Anything like that that's related to like relationship and marital status. Yes. Not necessary or appropriate. I even remember one of, there was a, a young professional female who was part of Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. And she shared with, with the group uh, at one of our State Connected events that she has purchased a fake wedding ring to wear um, just around uh, to basically not welcome comments. Because when you're a single female, angels may think it's okay to comment on how you look or hit on you. And that's a lot of time unwanted commentary or yeah. attention. So this individual, she, she actually had a fake wedding ring that she would wear around just genius. to say, mm. <laughs> it's genius, genius but like genius. why? why? do this. <laughs> no, and we absolutely should not. I mean, I'm just thinking about going into meetings and if I were to ask one of my customers, "Hey, are you dating anyone? You got a girlfriend?" wink wink, like you I would immediately they'd be like, "Uh, no. Keep on moving." Right. That should not be a connection point regardless mm -hmm. of if you're female or male. Exactly. If someone brings up their family uh or wants to discuss something personal that way, absolutely, that's an invitation. But it's not something that you should, in I mean, depending on the relationship, everything is different. But if you don't know that individual, you don't know much about their life, I would probably be a bit more hesitant to comment on anything within their love life, <laughs> to yes. be honest. Agreed. Totally agree. All right, Olivia, let's move into this second categorization of microaggressions. Do you mind breaking down this quote unquote assumptions of inferiority? Yes. So when a woman is assumed to be physically or intellectually incompetent, particularly in comparison to men. So what's that mean? <laughs> this is a big one. Um, yeah. Many women, I would say, experience the, um, specifically on, on conference calls, men talking over women. Oh, yes. Uh, or ignoring an idea or women tend to have more reserved or quieter voices. And so often if you share an idea, someone may or may not hear it. And then someone may repeat that idea and then get mm -hmm. accolades for bringing creativity to the room. Uh, so that that is a consistent microaggression in the workplace. You know, things like, hey, what if we try something like what if we, um, what if we try, I don't know, doing something creative with how we deliver proposals to, to our clients. 
And then five minutes later, an individual is like, hey, what if we try this? And then, you know what I mean? It's just like, you are just a genius. And then the individual who shared the idea originally is like, wait a second. I think (laughs) I shared that one. Right. So So that, and then also let's talk about bulldozing is what I like to call it. So everyone knows, especially in COVID time, that we're all on conference calls and someone, two people start talking at the same time. So it's not usually the fault of anyone for starting to talk, obviously. Um, But nine out of 10 times, the woman backs down and the man keeps on driving through his statement and keeps delivering his statement, even if there was someone else talking. There's been very few times that I've been in a meeting for the last, what, six months, I guess you could say, where I have seen a man stop himself after he realizes someone else is talking and be like, oh, oh, sorry, you go ahead first. There's only one individual that I know that actually I can think of that has done that. And even like bulldozing, I I love the way you phrase that because it is like a completely descriptive, accurate way to to the experience. Um, Another way to approach it is if you don't, if you honestly don't hear someone, Mm -hmm. why don't we need someone else in the room or in the, in the call to say, Hey, I think Olivia was trying to say something there. Do you mind yeah. if we just circle back and, and make sure we're listening to what she has to say? Call them um, out. And, yeah, call them out. <laughs> so that's something that I don't, it's, it's hard to categorize, but it happens way too frequently. Yes. Um, let's see. So, oh, very interesting one is this idea of not directly mentioning someone in meetings or directly referencing someone. So Olivia, I don't know if you want to speak to this, just being a female in a very technical realm in getting referenced for your work on MCC workups or any of those types of um, situations. Yeah. So in our industry, especially, there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of different people involved with with workups and jobs and and any sort of project that um, we see. And a lot of times not being mentioned or maybe there's only one or two people that are seen as the like the main leaders of that of that uh, project but mm-hmm. in reality there's so many other people that are being forgotten or looked over or aren't really being um, given the correct recognition mm-hmm. that they deserve at that time so although it might not seem like a microaggression just these slight forms of not mentioning someone when credit is really due to them as well. And just Mm -hmm. acknowledging that we need to start thinking holistically of, okay, let's make sure that we are giving recognition to those entire, the entire group. Even if they seem to only have been a small portion, there usually is a lot more work behind those small portions than might be realized at first. Absolutely. No, great way to put that. All right. The next area we primarily see this with inferiority is asking women to prove qualifications specifically if that wouldn't have been asked of a male. Mm-hmm. So Olivia, we're both engineers. Um, we've both been in the industry for a number of years now. Um, we're still considered young professionals, but I mean, we're not freshly green. No. And I can't tell you, I can't even count on two hands, three hands, whatever, how many times I've been asked, well, are you actually an engineer? Yeah. Right. How long have you been in this industry? Um, even the fact that they're like, oh, wow, wow, you're an engineer. 
<laughs> Are you going to say wow to my male counterpart when they tell you that they're an engineer? Exactly. So just those, those subtle jobs where you're like, who I am being a, a female, being young, being um, whatever, not looking like the characteristic, characteristic, whatever, uh, the traditional typical. engineer. Yeah, typical. Thank you. Engineer has nothing to do with my credibility or my ability technically. However, it's still some way within culture is still correlated with, with physical appearance. Oh, um, so something to just be aware of. Would you, I mean, checking yourself, would you ask the same question to a male counterpart or is this some type of maybe precursor or unconscious bias that you may have towards uh, women in the field? Yeah, specifically? exactly. That making judgments based on how we look, but then also just questioning even our age too, mm -hmm. with women especially. Questions like Dominique um, at one of our earlier episodes being asked, oh, how long have you been an engineer for? How long have you been a field service person for? Um, that kind of question, those, those questions that they're trying to validate how they should see you, yes. essentially. Great point. The next area I would say is something that is, has become more mainstream over the years, uh, this idea of mansplaining. My favorite Favorite, favorite microaggression to directly give sass back when it happens. As nice so as Olivia, I can. Yes, of course. But Olivia, can you break down basically the idea of mansplaining for the our listeners who maybe don't know what it is? Well, Corinne, I'm actually going to make this an example. <laughs> so Corinne, Corinne here is very well aware of what all these different microaggressions are, what they mean. But I am going to think that Corinne doesn't know any of this. So Corinne, I just wanted to let you know that a microaggression is a form of discrimination. And you see, there's also these different parts of microaggressions and different categories of microaggressions. And one of the different categories is an assumption of inferiority. So these assumptions sort of inferiority, one of the biggest one that we see is mansplaining. So because I'm assuming that you know nothing about what I'm talking about in the first place, mansplaining is when a male coworker condescendingly tries to explain a concept of which you had no desire to know more about or ask any additional information on but they feel that they need to take it upon themselves to make sure that you understand exactly what they're talking about, both to make themselves seem more of uh, an expert as well as to, it might even undermine you a bit. Yeah. So how was that? How'd that feel? It doesn't feel great. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> it's allowed, it's allowed. We're, we're learning right now. Um, and I think the one other thing I would add to your definition, because that's perfect, is you actually may know more than the counterpart who is trying to uh, explain something to you. I mean, the, the, the most common example is, Olivia, you would share something in a meeting or a presentation. And then if I was, in, you know, a, one of your male coworkers, I would say what she's trying to say is, mm -hmm. and I would then break down exactly what Olivia was just saying 
but maybe use one or two different words. And I would be thinking that I would be um, enlightening the room versus Olivia did a great job explaining it, but there might just be a couple questions like there would be with anyone who is giving a presentation. Mm-hmm. I would say another one we get within the, specifically the technical realm is, um, well, Olivia, do you know how a motor works? Well, let me tell you, let me, let me break it down for you really quick. When in reality, number one, maybe I don't care how a motor works. Um, number two, maybe I already know how a motor works. Number three, maybe I worked on motors for three years before I joined Rockwell Automation and you would never know. Exactly. So just the, the assumption of you, you possibly couldn't know anything about this. Let me educate you. Mm-hmm. versus Olivia, tell me about your background. What do you, like, do you care about this? Can I, mm-hmm. can I break anything down for you? Maybe you can teach me something. Yeah, So exactly. So, well, let's go into the next bucket of microaggressions. The next so and last, is, right? Yes. I was going to say this is the last one. So there are quite, have been quite a few to unpack at this point, but the last bucket that we'll be going over is assumptions of objectivity. So when a woman's value is perceived to be from how she sounds or looks. Yeah. And this is probably one of the like most classic, I guess, ideas of microaggressions as well is it's directly correlated to appearance and sound of a female. Right. Uh, so Olivia, how many times have you been told um, that you should smile more, you know? You know, I have to say, thankfully, I haven't been told so many times at work. However, in my personal life, often. Yeah. Often. So, and that's, it just reinforces the idea that women should be happy and grateful Mm -hmm. and pleasant and wonderful and receptive to everyone. And that we really shouldn't be expressing how we truly feel or that we're allowed Mm -hmm. to be unhappy or not okay with the situation. Right. I, I get a lot because um, I typically am a relatively cheerful person, but if I'm frustrated and very vocal about those frustrations, then I'll often get, whoa, Corinne, you really need to pump the brakes or you, you know what I mean? You're coming across much differently than normal. Why don't you just smile more or be happier? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I get a proposal out. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here. Smile's not going to give me a proposal. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Or like if a, one of our male counterparts did the same thing, they'd be like, yeah, he's on a, He's going. He's on a rampage. Watch him go. He's pissed. Like, yes. totally different perception of what these emotions and what our facial expressions are saying. And one of, one of the ways emotions come out with females is how our voice sounds, right? So Absolutely. a lot of the time women are told, whether directly or it's inferred, to use a different tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so women are constantly policed for being too valley girl, uh, too shrill, too aggressive, too confident. And it's, it's correlated with female assertiveness instead of, hey, Olivia's allowed to sound or h- however she wants to sound, right? We can't control our voices. Yeah. And so just an example of this that, that I thought of immediately is – I think it was last year on Netflix, the Theranos or HBO. It's one of the two. Did you ever hear about the Theranos, which is the whole, the blood machine, or it was like a blood test machine. And this one woman um, created it and actually ended up being a complete hoax. So this CEO um, 
she specifically lowered her voice and she talked really low and really, really like just overall her demeanor was much more calm and her voice was really low with everything mm. that she said. And, and it just overall, she was, she had this like other persona that she, she put her on um, to make herself seem more important. And it just wow. reminded me of one of those things where it's like, why did she even feel like she had to? Why, what discounts her from being, well, not what discounts her, let's be honest, she was a hoax or a fraud in the first place, but what discounts her by having a higher pitch voice? Right. And why is that associated in our brains from the get-go of, oh, if I lower my register, I'm going to be taken more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. When we can't control how high our voices are, I tend to be more quiet spoken I wish sometimes I was louder, you know, but it's like, you know what? It's, it's, it is what it is. It is. No, it is. It definitely is. So even the comments of, Ooh, you're seeming a bit emotional, a little bit shrill or Mm -hmm. men describing your voice as being nagging or a coworker when they're complaining about them being like, Oh, so-and-so was nagging me. Olivia was so annoying. She was nagging me. Why is that a thing? Come on. it's a thing always directed towards women. Always. always. It's, I mean, it's, it's tone, it's nagging, and it, it's perceived negatively when we're anything except for um, peppy, you know? But even then, I mean, like we mentioned a little bit ago, we can be too valley girl <laughs> or too confident at the same time. So it's like, how do you find your perfect medium? Uh, when in reality, we need to shift the narrative to allowing um, – this variation within voices for both, you know, male, female, non-binary, however we identify to actually enable people to leverage their voices versus uh, stifling them for speaking up at all. Yes. Yes. I would agree. So. And we're actually going to go into the whole, this whole idea of speaking up uh, with Janine Nielsen in one of our upcoming episodes uh, where we really do talk through how do you find your voice and how do you leverage it appropriately Um, for your benefit. So I think that'll be a really great episode coming up. Yeah. Personally, I enjoy having my voice being offensive. I mean, when someone's (laughs) like, oh, she's being so aggressive or bitchy. I'm like, great. My point got across. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's just a shame that the, the difference and that'll be a great topic for another uh, conversation of that. Mm -hmm. The perception of too bitchy versus I'm being aggressive and I'm fighting for yes. what I believe in. Yep. Um, there is such a, a double standard there with, with females. I mean, I, I frequently told I am too aggressive and, um, you know, yeah, that'll be a great topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So the last little bucket of this category is telling or commenting on a female's co- or coworker's attire or how they dress. Mm. Corinne, I think you have a great story <laughs> about one of our VPs and how you had yeah. a hair conversation. Please <laughs> share. Yes. yes, I do, Olivia. I actually, you know, right before joining Rockwell, um, I have relatively long hair uh, now, but I, I did prior to uh, joining Rockwell as well. And I was under the impression, you know, most professional women, again, stereotype, are a little bit more put together and have clean cut, 
polished, yes, clean cut, um, much shorter hair. So I decided right before joining Rockwell to do that same look. Um, and I also then, so I cut off like 12 inches of my hair, joined Rockwell, and then I was really concerned with doing anything too messy with my hair when I traditionally wear my hair very messy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just who I am. And I was talking to, you know, we do, we do this generation does a lot of messy buns. Uh, and yeah, top knot. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> yeah. And they're very cute, but I was associating that with maybe people wouldn't take me seriously in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And one of our VPs, who I'm sure we'll have on this uh, podcast eventually, I was commenting on her. She had this low, messy ponytail. And I was like, I adore the way you're wearing your hair. And just thank you for being unapologetically you. I have struggled with this and, and putting myself in a box and thinking people won't take me seriously. And she just looks at me and goes, if someone has anything to say about how you wear your hair, if it's too messy, you tell them to call me. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Like, thank you for empowering like myself, my young Corinne to be like, you're right. Why does anyone, why can anyone tell me how my hair should look? It really shouldn't matter. Last time I checked, there is no correlation between a project being delivered and a stray hair coming out of a ponytail. Yes. Great point. That should be a slogan. If anything, my hair came out of my ponytail because I've been so flustered getting together your project. Okay. (laughs) Let's think about it that way. That's great. (laughs) I didn't have time to look presentable to your standards because I was busy. Right. So of course there are, you know, normal dress codes that we should be following. I mean, there's nothing to say that you can't encourage someone to dress a bit more professionally, or maybe they're dressing too professionally, but that should come from a, you know, a a place of, you know, Hey, FYI, this is how it's coming across. Just want you to be aware. Um, You know, that's not to say those conversations can't take place, but that should be done between a manager and an employee um, or maybe a close friend. That's also a coworker, not done you know, where when I wear heels, sometimes people tell me, oh, Corinne, you shouldn't be wearing heels. You're too tall. You don't need that. Like, well, how dare they? If I want to wear heels, I can probably wear heels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I understand that one. So yes. that are like being told that, oh, it's an important meeting. You better look presentable or you better, maybe you want to wear your hair down instead. How about that? Maybe it looks nicer that way. Or polished. Yes. So this idea of, again, correlating my attire and how I look, if I'm wearing lipstick, not wearing lipstick, wearing makeup, not wearing makeup Mm -hmm. with my ability to deliver information and um, support whatever task we're doing differently. Yep. How about if someone says to you, oh, I understand why you were put on my account. Now I'm going to be I'm going to be so much more engaged because I've got a pretty young thing as my account rep. Corinne, tell us your thoughts. <sighs> That's like a dagger to the heart because it I means know. they just discredit you immediately. I um, and I, I haven't figured out like the exact great way to respond to that yet. I think it depends on the situation, but that's a tough one. Do you have a good one? Oh, I have another good one. I remember. So I was... I was working at, um, as an intern, I was working for a company that is in the glass industry. So Mm -hmm. they did a lot of different trade shows and I got the opportunity to go to a trade show in Europe for them. Um, 
super exciting. I was so jazzed about it. I was so excited. I was like this intern that was doing all this application work in the background. They were told, hey, we want you to work the booth because you know the product. You, you can really articulate what, what the product does. I was so psyched. It was so awesome. When I, almost the first five minutes that I was on the floor, I had a, one of their customers come up to me and say, oh, hi, I'm here to talk to so-and-so about um, so-and-so about the product. I want to talk to them about it because, and uh, could you go and get them? I assume you're just a booth girl just standing oh, here. My. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, I understand that those were a thing where women used to be used as materialistic objects to attract customers to booths at trade shows and such. However, I was not, okay? So I politely and as nicely said, oh, I can answer any questions that, I, that you might have. And then once the conversation actually turned into, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so specifically about it, that is when I went over and got him. Good for you. That's, that's really tough. And it's, it's the constant beat down of, oh, no, 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 you're just here because you're a pretty face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah. no, I, I have the technical capacity to actually help you out with this question. So Right. And it's funny because the moment you start opening your mouth and you actually have some sort of technical knowledge behind it, they, you're the, their face just went from like zero to a hundred of, oh my gosh, oops. So, right. At least he had the the actual wherewithal of, oh, shoot, I made a mistake on that one. Right, right, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, I love this, the whole idea of like assume positive intent because I really do think a lot of it's unintentional. Mm-hmm. But can we just like check ourselves a little bit earlier in the conversation? You know, I mean, I've definitely done some of these things unintentionally. And who knows, goodness, maybe, maybe some of them not unintentionally you just kind of confused and but we got to be better yes we, <laughs> we do need to we need to approach people as humans and how do I think people perceive me and how do I want you know people to perceive Olivia because I know how great you are technically and how competent you are so of course you know what I mean someone should approach you that way yeah. um well that was a very brief well not very brief that was quite a bit of <laughs> we get chatting <laughs> we did chat a bit but that was a bit of an introduction into some of these different microaggressions that females specifically are challenged with so yes. i'm sure most people have even more that they can add to that and hopefully by going through these and really hitting home on what the differences are between them you will be able to recognize these in your everyday life so as we had stated, Liz Neary is going to be joining us for our, the next bit, and we'll be talking through it, her experiences, more specific industry-related experiences, and how to kind of combat these microaggressions, how to say directly to the microaggressor, hey, don't do that, or how to correctly respond to them. So, Absolutely. Awesome. Let's get Liz out here. Sounds good. Today, we have Liz Neary, who is a Wisconsin native, now living in Chicago. She is an avid sports enthusiast. You can catch her cheering on her favorite sports team, Go Pack Go, or participating in a local event herself. If she's not playing sports, you may catch her watching reality TV or anything on the Bravo Network. Liz is a daughter, sister, and aunt. She also is a major foodie, adrenaline junkie, and proud decaf coffee drinker. 
She, alongside Dominique Fenner of our latest episode, is the lead for RA Wi-Fi, Rockwell Automation's Women in the Field Employee Resource Group that's focused on connecting and empowering women. Liz, welcome to Shatter. We're so excited to have you here. Woohoo! Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Shout out from Chicago. We're all in different states right now. It's kind of crazy. Thanks to technology, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, at this current moment, it almost doesn't matter. And honestly, I feel like I've seen people now more than ever just because of video conferencing that it's kind of, Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, I've never seen my coworkers so many times. (laughs) I know. Wow, I've never seen my coworker in their pajamas. <laughs> and now I have. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but like, I haven't worn makeup for like weeks. And I'm like, am I going to go back to wearing makeup in front of these people? They've seen my most intimate self right? at this point. Yeah. I know it is. It's yeah. it's a very interesting uh, perspective shift on the makeup game. Like, where did this confidence come from? <laughs> Yeah. Also, my hairstyling tools have quite a bit of dust on them as well. Uh, Same. (laughs) (laughs) So, Liz, today you're the automotive account manager supporting the Chicago market. How did you find your way into the manufacturing world and what really intrigued you about an industrial style of career? I think I think a couple things kind of kind of led Mm -hmm. me here. One is I always had sort of an affinity to math and science Mm -hmm. in school um it always just made sense to me and doing math homework never felt like homework you know what I mean it felt like I was doing puzzles or something um so I always liked that but I also grew up playing sports and I grew up with two older brothers so I have a very innate competitive spirit (laughs) to me as well and some like soft skills and some communication skills that I think I, I get to leverage in this job and in this industry more so than like a, a standard like design engineering job. Absolutely. And it's, I used to always, did you ever watch that show, How It's Made? Uh, yes. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I always used to watch that too. And now it's, now it's kind of cool that that's my life. I mean, now it's cars. Yeah. I actually like to play spot that Rockwell. So when I'm watching yeah, it, I literally absolutely. go, Hey, that's ro- a Rockwell push button. I see a stack. Like <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend hates it. Spot that Rockwell. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I, last summer I went to, um, six flags with some of my friends and I was such a nerd. Like, because you have to wait in line at every ride yeah and every line we waited in I was like trying to peek in like the behind the scenes of the ride or like point at oh my you know, gosh. like um like on machine drives and stuff that were on the rails of the ride and oh my, my friends gosh. were like okay you need to stop <laughs> They're like, I don't know how to say yeah, this politely, right. but you are a nerd. Right. And I was like, no, but guys, I'm telling you this because you should feel safe. Right. You don't need to be scared. That's why I'm driving I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. in the short time that we've known you, you've also been engaged in the leadership with RA Wi-Fi. So how did you know you wanted to help lead this employee resource group? When I first started with Rockwell, I was, you know, sent to or stationed in, however you want to put it, um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, 
uh, in our sales office there. And I had never been to Cincinnati. I didn't know anybody in Cincinnati. And when I got there, I was one of two female account managers and, you know, one of two people under the age of 35 or 40. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, you know, they were all amazing people and I loved working with every single one of them and I loved that office and I loved the city. Um, but as a new young person moving there, like I was in a different stage in my life than so many of my coworkers. Um, and I was kind of having trouble making friends outside of work. It, I was kind of running into a situation where everybody I met was, uh, you know, grew up in Cincinnati or somewhere close and Mm -hmm. they were in a group of friends that they had been friends with for 10, 15 or more years. And it's just hard to break into that. I mean, no matter Mm -hmm. how welcoming and nice people are, like Mm -hmm. when you're friends for that long, you kind of speak your own language and you have all these memories that you share and as an outsider it's hard to break in so probably for the first year I was kind of floundering I guess you could say trying to figure out what activities I could do to meet people and find I was trying to find people who maybe were having a similar experience as I was and that's kind of when I found RA Wi-Fi so mm-hmm. I went to a Stay Connected event and almost immediately hit it off with all of these other women who were experiencing the same things I was. They were frequently the only female in a meeting or in the room. They were frequently interacting with almost exclusively males at their customers and with distribution and, you know, their coworkers. And it was such like a warm place to be. And I also learned so much from so many of the people that I worked with and, and the leaders of RA Wi-Fi at the time. And I had such a great experience and I grew so much and it really helped me to establish myself, you know, in this new city, in my new job, in this company. Uh, and I, I wanted to be able to help pass that along to others. So that's kind of how I, I knew that I wanted to get more involved and and be a leader. No, I think that's great. And it's that this organization specifically with, with rock automation women in the field, it's so refreshing to be like you too. Like you're also struggling with this, you know, like, Hey, it's not Mm -hmm. a Liz issue. It's not an Olivia or Corinne issue. It's actually like a, Hey, this is what it feels to be the minority, you know, to be the single female in the room, to be the only uh, individual of color, color, like it, it's so refreshing to be like, it's not a me issue yeah. and, and people have made it through this. And how can, how can you coach me or mentor me or grow the network so that you can continuously not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's so great. And we're really excited to be working with you within this organization. And, um, it's, it's one of probably the coolest thing Rockwell does, you know, is really support, um, these employee resource groups. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, Like I have gotten so much, and I know, you know, countless others have as well, but I've gotten so much better and more comfortable in my job. And I'm, I'm more, um, 
efficient and, and powerful in my role because of all the connections I've made, you know, exactly. right. employee resource group. Absolutely. So in terms of, I, I know you discussed a little bit like your early time in Cincinnati, what advice would you give young women just starting their career? Like if you could look at, you know, 22 year old Liz Neary, what would you, what would you tell her? Uh, well, there's quite a few things I would tell her, but, (laughs) but, uh, but I think, I think first and foremost, I would say, just try it, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, try it, get outside your comfort zone. Like if you let, um, trying new things intimidate you or you're afraid to, uh, put yourself out there, it, it, it leads to complacency and you won't, you won't grow. Mm-hmm. You won't experience new things. You'll just kind of get stuck in this new box. And it, it's, I mean, it is scary. The first time you cold call a customer, the first time you lead a meeting, the first time you um, give a presentation to an executive mm-hmm. at a customer, like it's scary, but you, you have the skills to prepare you can do it. You just got to tip yourself over the edge and yeah, it's not always going to go perfectly, but you learn so much more through trial and error than you Mm. do just kind of sitting back and watching other people take those risks. You got to jump with both, both feet in. Right. Right. Can't just dip the toes in. (laughs) And it's, it's almost like the feel after like you hang up the call or you walk out of the meeting whether it was, whether it went how you had imagined or not, the feeling of like exhilaration and almost relief as you're walking out, yeah, is, is amazing. So like I said, I told you guys I'm kind of an adre- adrenaline junkie. That's part of it. It's not just, yeah. you know, going biking down a volcano or whatever. Like anything that, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like, challenges me make yourself uncomfortable I would say continue to seek out those opportunities yep yep get comfortable with being uncomfortable so Liz how have you experienced microaggressions within your career Uh, other than some of the other examples that you mentioned is there anything else you'd like to to share absolutely I would say I've experienced um situations and each of the three buckets we just went through. I've had times where I felt insignificant. I've had times where I felt not challenged enough. I've had times where I feel like it's, it's difficult for me to get like honest, constructive feedback uh, because maybe people are afraid to hurt my feelings or whatever. I had one, one situation now that I look back on and and laugh, but at the time I was pretty pissed. Um, I was in a meeting with a customer and this was when I was young. So I think I had just started with the company and I was with another account manager and um, we were at a customer in one of their meeting rooms and they had um, like motion sensor lights. Mm 
but for whatever reason, the motion sensor was pointed out in the hallway, not into the conference room. So if nobody walked by, if nobody like walked down the hallway for a certain period of time, the lights would shut off like during our meeting. And I was asked to periodically step out of the room and wave my arms around to make sure that the lights stayed on. Oh gosh. Yeah. Why are you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I think, when I think about it, like that's probably the most glaring one Yeah, for me, um, which now I think is hilarious, but at the time I was like so hurt by it. Right. Well, I think that's a common response by any, you know, microaggression is like, should I feel hurt? Should I be like, am I being too sensitive? Should I have Mm -hmm. tougher skin? You know, like you kind of wash through all of those emotions. And I think the important thing is it's like, that's okay. Like that Mm -hmm. wave of emotion, whatever you're feeling is okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the time, um, I didn't say anything. I I didn't say anything like in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, I never even said anything to the person who asked me to do that. But I did talk, like, after that, I did talk to the other, you know, like, my coworker who was in the room. I did talk to him about it and was like, that was kind of messed up, right? And he was like, oh, yeah, totally. But, like, I didn't know if you thought it was messed up or whatever. So it was nice to get that validation. But I think, um, not, you know, t- 10 years later almost, I would handle it very differently. Right. than I did back then. But I think that comes with time and just like learning <clears throat> how to like stand up for ourselves differently. And then also like, can we communicate with our coworkers or fellow allies that are in a room to be like, hey, if I make a comment saying like, hey, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this or I don't think that's okay for me to do that, making sure someone like has your back in that situation is equally as important. Cause yes. I, I like get what your, your coworker was saying. And it's like, Hey, like, I wasn't sure if you were okay with this or not, but in reality, I wish that that individual would have been like, Hey, how come, like, why doesn't someone else go outside this time? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like rather than just being like, I don't think Liz wants to do this. Being right. like, how do you deflect it? Like away from you, away from the minority to, to mm-hmm. try to level set the, the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I haven't been in any, any conference rooms with reverse facing motion sensors lately. So. <laughs> but next time you next are, time, yes. those, you will, yeah. you will now tackle that situation differently. Yeah. But so, I mean, situations like that, like that's similar to being, at, you know, being asked to take notes or whatever. It's like, assuming that I'm not going to contribute to the conversation so I can allocate my time to making sure that everybody else is like having a constructive conversation Absolutely. as opposed to being like an integral part of it. Right. Or Absolutely. that your, your input isn't necessary at the entire time. So that's why right. they're like, Oh, it's fine. She can go wave her arms. It's fine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So there's like multiple different ways to handle this. I mean, there's no, there's no wrong way. There's no right way necessarily like for each individual to handle a microaggression. 
so some people are like, Hey, you know what? I'm out of here. Like, I'm just not going to deal with this individual, this client, this, um, you know, coworker anymore, but that could actually be like feeding into the stereotype that they believe about whatever group they're expressing microaggressions towards. So how do we coach people to give a voice in a differing perspective to help educate the microaggressors to influence future behavior? Because I think from, from anyone's perspective of like having dealt with these types of comments, it beats you down time and time again. So how do we, how do we shift the narrative and, and hopefully start to encourage different behavior? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, you, you truly have to understand that it's a systemic issue that Mm. we're up against. for, it's not your fault, right? Um, no, you know, obviously the work environment that we're working in, or even, you know, just the climate that we live in right now is better than it was for mm-hmm. women 50 years ago or a hundred years ago. But like, if you think about it, like a tree, the roots of the tree are still like firmly planted in how things used to be and, and mm-hmm. the ideals of a woman staying home and taking care of the family and, and being in the kitchen and cleaning the house and stuff. So even as you know the tree grows and, and we get further and further away from what that used to look like, it's still, it's still the same tree. Right. So um, I think number one, understanding that it's a systemic issue. And number two, um, the whole world is not on your shoulders, mm-hmm. I think is the second thing to really understand. So you can, you can take steps to, you know, try and improve um, or coach the people in your network. Um, and that'll help your daily life. But, but also as you coach those around you, hopefully they take what they're learning from you and, um, you know, put it into action with other women that they interact with and that sort of thing. But it doesn't have to be every single time you experience a microaggression, you take immediate action. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it, it is so emotional. And if we're like constantly fighting, constantly fighting and never taking breaks, it'll drain you. Right. So I think like, when you first kind of start taking the steps to um, approach people directly about, you know, you did this and it made me feel this way or whatever, I think it's important to choose those situations where you feel most comfortable and maybe um, the relationship you have with the microaggressor is such that, you think it's really important to, to kind of coach that person. So maybe it's, you know, um, your boss, maybe mm-hmm. it's someone on your team, maybe it's your subordinate, maybe you're mm-hmm. their boss. Um, someone who really, their actions affect you day in and day out, then I think those would be really important, important relationships or situations to, to kind of start with. 
but not feeling like every single time you have to have that conversation. Maybe it's someone you're never going to see again and you don't waste your, you don't like tax yourself mm-hmm. emotionally on that. And just bring awareness to those people that you're constantly interacting with at all times. Right. 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 And I like what you said there, you know, it's almost like pick your battles because it's not always the person who is experiencing these uh, attacks to defend the situation and to speak up and educate that individual because that is an immense burden. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you even think about like the Black Lives Matter movement right now and how much momentum it's gaining, it's not up to our black and brown colleagues to educate all of the white folks, right? Mm -hmm. We need to do that on our own. Mm -hmm. So that burden of being like, hey, I just experienced this aggression and I now need to defend myself, defend all the people who maybe look like me or believe like I do or uh, are as young as I am, whatever that be. Um, and that's, that's just not, that's too much weight on one individual to really mm-hmm. um, change the direction of, of a culture. But I guess when, when individuals do choose to speak up, I think we have the ability to beat ourselves up of saying like, hey, maybe I was too emotional in my response or I was, maybe I wasn't respectful enough. Or if it was your boss that, that, you know, did say something that was um, inappropriate or a true microaggression, we think we overthink and beat ourselves up about how could I have handled this differently? So two questions for you. What do we say to those people that choose to speak up and maybe it's not the most eloquent, you know, language What do we say to those people? And then what do we say to the people who's, who choose not to speak up? Because both are very acceptable. Yeah. Um, so I would say to the people who choose not to speak up, um, that's your choice. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. If you're, if you're comfortable enough with you know, the environment that you're in, and um, maybe you're with, maybe you are, you know, your network or the people you interact with on a day-to-day basis are progressive or, you know, very respectful and, and it's not as much of a um, issue, then I would say if you're comfortable with the things that come up and you can just handle it, you know, internally, then, you know, bully for you. If that's how you want to handle it, that's how you should handle it. Um, I think for the people who do speak up and maybe second guess themselves on what they say or how they say it, or um, did I make sense? Did I come on too strong? I think, um, I think it's important to have like a toolbox of responses or, um, you know, conversations that fit your style and your voice that you would be comfortable, um, like putting into practice Mm -hmm. because not everybody, you know, how I combat or, Um, react to microaggressions is different than how both of you would probably, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that one way is better than the other. 
Um, so sometimes I like, sometimes I'll make a joke. So in the example of <clears throat> someone asking me to take notes, you know, to bring a little levity to it um, in the room, I would mm -hmm. say, oh, actually I can't, my, my nail polish is still drying. Mark, could you actually take notes oh, or that's something? That's great. So that might be, you know, like kind of an in the moment, yeah. something that, you know, doesn't really hurt too bad. So I don't feel, I don't feel um, afraid to kind of call it out in the moment or in front of other people. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll just kind of ask a quick, like clarifying question, like, like, what does that mean? Or what do you mean by that? Um, which I think gives the, the microaggressor a pause to kind of reflect on what they just said and how that right. might have come across. Um, you know, assuming, not assuming malintention, I think it, most people don't realize that what they said might have hurt my feelings or that there was no intent to hurt me most often. Um, but then sometimes it really needs to be, you know, like in the case of if it was my boss, that would need to be a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. that right. we have um, just to like kind of set a standard of the level of the respect that I um, expect and deserve. Um, or even reverse if if I'm that person's boss. I would I would think that kind of conversation would have to be handled one-on-one. -on -one. But the more you start using the tools in your toolbox, you'll get more comfortable and it will be um mm -hmm. you'll be more confident kind of delivering that message. Mm -hmm. And you know, kind of the wording and and your verbiage will come along with that. Yeah. And I I actually sometimes like to, especially if I'm comfortable with that individual that may have happened, that it happened with, um, I kind of like to like flip the script with them and go, you know, I understand that mm -hmm. you said that to me, mm -hmm. and I didn't mean to, but if right. Joey was here with right. you instead, would you have said that to Joey instead of me? Would you have had right. Joey take notes? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So right. what is it about me that you feel like you could have asked that? us to do that or ask me to take notes for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost just making them aware of them even having that maybe unconscious bias towards women and not realizing it or yeah. having that expectation I, that, oh yeah, I wouldn't have asked my male coworker to do right. that instead. And two, I like the idea with like, with the note taking, first of all, I think it's hilarious the the <laughs> nail polish one because that's like a in your face. Like I, I love that response. But in terms of like if it's maybe in front of a customer or more external facing mm -hmm. where you we might need to be careful about a response because I often get lectured about you're a bit too snarky or too sarcastic mm -hmm. sometimes. And so I try mm -hmm. to make it more inclusive in terms of why don't we all take notes because we hear things differently. And then let's make sure to share them <laughs> at the end because in reality, women are pretty decent note takers because I feel like we we kind of like listen and, and respond but at the same time. That's a stereotype. <laughs> Not all of them are. Some of them That's are bad handwriting. Yeah. <laughs> you see my writing is chicken scratch, okay? I'm not writing notes. But in regards to like all of a sudden, if people are then forced to take notes themselves, you can actually see who's paying attention, who's listening, who's providing value and input into that meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, that is an eye-opening experience as well. Yeah, 
I would agree. That's what yeah. OneNote's for. We can all dump our notes into the same pile. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Go OneNote. Yeah. Exactly. Well, why don't we talk through the challenges of responding to someone who doesn't believe it's a microaggression? Maybe it's, um, I don't know if anyone else here gets questions about like your age, but I often get asked like, how old are you? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to answer that question. Yeah. Um, but I often don't like hit back on like, you probably wouldn't ask my male counterpart that because it's, it's right. awkward. So that person yeah. probably has never been like told that is inappropriate or like the questions right. are like, are you married? Are you planning on getting married? Are you having children? Right. Like those types of things. So speak to the challenges of maybe someone who doesn't view it as a microaggression mm. and just kind of what that might look like in a conversation? Yeah, so I think most people that um, find themselves in situations where they're the microaggressor or they, they exhibit a microaggressive behavior, oftentimes they don't know they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So like if they, if let's say a male counterpart asks me not that I have kids or have ever had kids, but down the line, you know, hopefully I have children and I'm, I'm leaving for maternity leave. And then I come back and then let's say maybe I get pregnant again and it'll be, you know, like less than two years before I'm um, on maternity leave again. And a comment about how I'm never here, I'm Mm -hmm. never working because I'm always on vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, That individual most likely does not identify as a misogynist, right? So when you um, confront them about it, the, I think the most common reaction is to get defensive. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, I'm not, I'm not a misogynist. Or if someone made a, a racial microaggression, oh, I'm not a racist. Right. I think that's a very, like, natural and common reaction. So um, that kind of ties back to what I was saying about how it's so, emo- like, it drains your emotions. Mm-hmm. Because if you have this conversation and the person um gets defensive it's kind of on us to disarm them yeah right in order to have kind of a constructive conversation and coach them and and explain to them why what they did affected us a certain way i one thing that i would add to that is how can we equip our allies Mm -hmm. in terms of so maybe that burden doesn't fall on you know, the individual who's pregnant and taking maternity leave every time, but how do we then enable strong allies to say, Hey, that's not cool. They should be Mm -hmm. taking maternity leave. Like they, they are here. They're just supporting their family right now. Like how do we get Mm -hmm. other people to start interjecting comments and building up other communities versus playing into or remaining silent in those situations? Sure. I think, I mean, I think what we're doing with our Wi-Fi and our allyship yes is is a good step i mean agreed we invite them into conversations where they're primarily just listening mm-hmm. 
to learn about what we experience and, you know, kind of the mindset that we have. Because they may not know that after someone comes back from maternity leave, they're constantly looking for like, where am I going to pump? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they may not know that women sit outside in their car to pump because they don't feel comfortable doing it inside the office or at a right. customer or something. So Absolutely. that it physically hurts think, them if they don't. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, so I think, I think that's a really good step is just letting them kind of see behind the curtain mm-hmm. a little bit. Absolutely. And they'll get a better understanding of, you know, our perspective. Right. I remember once uh, when I was living in Oregon with the Rockwell team out there, we had a, a session in one of our meetings that talked all about what women do to prepare for like an on-site customer visit. Like, are my pants long enough? Um, mm-hmm. Do I have socks in case I need to change into my steel toes? Do I have steel toes that fit? Um, do I need to wear my hair up? Can I wear my hair down? Am I going to get in trouble for this or that? Um, if I'm wearing my glasses, can I still put on my you know, safety got all of these types of comments. Am I wearing something too revealing because I'm walking around the mill? You know, all of these thoughts that go into going to a customer site that men are like, oh, I just show up because I've always worn long pants in, you know, a long sleeve mm-hmm. shirt. Yeah. Like, and in reality, it's like, if I don't have a sweater in my car, just in case, I won't be allowed to walk the plant yep. because- mm-hmm. I mean, if it's summer, you don't always have that. So it was just a very interesting thing for male counterparts to be like, you think about that every time? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to. Or worrying about what to not attract attention. Right. How to make yourself look blend as, in. Mm-hmm. yeah, as right. blended as you can. So I can't just wear khakis and a polo every single day. Polos don't look great on women, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah exactly. I mean, I could, but... Right. Then I'm, then I'm changing myself to right. fit the environment. And you're one right. of the boys, you know? Right. Right. Well, and you know what? Even if you did, you'd probably someone would probably comment on that too and be like, oh, you know, looking a little bit scruffy today. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Can't win either way. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, Liz, um, if we think about microaggressions, we, a lot of it stems from implicit bias. And that comes from, you know, deep-rooted thoughts and stereotypes um, that maybe have been ingrained in our culture or our upbringing or whatever. And it is very difficult when we think about, can we truly rid the world of microaggressions? And I think we're a long ways out from that, but I think we need to switch our mindsets to being a lot more aware of what we're saying. So if you can be a little bit vulnerable with us today and think of a time that you might've been on the opposite side of the fence and possibly took part in a microaggression or didn't speak up in a situation that might have um, been one where, hey, we could have done better. You know, mm-hmm. do you mind sharing a story or something similar? Yeah, I can think of, I can think of a couple. Because, just because I'm a woman, does not mean that I understand what all women go through. For example, I don't have children and I have never been married. I remember, I don't even remember how many years ago, let's say five years ago, I had a friend or coworker who got married and was complaining about 
how hard it is to change your name. Mm -hmm. Like, I think just in general, it's hard to change your name, like through the legal system, but then also at work, it's hard to change. It's hard to get every single place in all of our systems where your name comes up changed. Mm -hmm. And that would be, you know, similar to if someone gets divorced. Right. And they were, they were changing it. So I definitely never, it never resonated to me how important that is to people. Like if they got married, they're so happy to, um, you know, be, be starting this new little family with their spouse, or if they're getting divorced, they're, they could be happy to be going back to their maiden name and kind of ridding themselves of, you know, whatever that last phase of their life was. And I've certainly been an instigator of jokes around that, or, I continue to call someone by their maiden name just because that's what's in my head and I don't mean to offend them. Right. But, um, that's something I've caught myself doing. That's a great for point. sure. And that's one of those where, and thank you for sharing that. Cause those are, mm-hmm. it's hard to do that self introspection of like, where have I probably not done my best and maybe there was really good intent there, but I don't mm-hmm. realize like the impact that it might've had on someone. Um, and, and so I think if we just continue to be open to someone saying, Hey, can you just make sure you're like using my right last name or, mm-hmm. um, or please don't use that last name anymore. Cause I just went through a really horrific divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being like open and conscious of, of our errors and making sure we, we then correct people who are doing the same thing. I think that's, that's a really great point. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. What about you? I can speak to one that I can remember. So similarly to us being, us being not offended, but, you know, being, taking it hard when people say, oh, you're a woman, you should note take, or you should help clean up, or you should do this stuff. I have also definitely been an offender of saying, well, you're a big, strong man. You should be able to go and help me pick this up or, or because you're a big, strong man, you can go and get the demos and I'll just wait inside. Like just stuff like that. That's like just a like small thing. That's like, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that. So just kind of Mm -hmm. playing into those stereotypes when I, myself, I know I need to be Mm-hmm. a little bit more conscious of that because I'm expecting my peers to be conscious of that when they address me in mm-hmm. a work situation. No, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Olivia. Um, in terms of me, I the, the first one that came to my mind is um, it's one of the buckets of microaggressions that we, we talked about earlier in regards to how women sound and how we are in meetings and women being really aggressive and forceful. And I often have to check myself. And so maybe I wasn't saying anything out loud, but I would, I would catch myself being like, man, why does this individual have to say something every single time? Or why do they always have to send me this email or tell me what to do? Or, you know, and I've, I've caught myself not being the best, like female supporter, um, at times, which has been, um, I think hard to look back on. And it's not like I'm, amazing now by any means I'm I still do uh have some of those thoughts and I try to be like get that out of here you know what I mean but I mean it's hard when there's so few females to in the industry to look at and be like wow 
it's really okay if we are loud and aggressive and this and that when you just don't have that many data points to look at. So how do, how do I flip how my brain thinks about it and be like, Hey, yeah, go get after it. Like, I like what this individual has to say. Um, and I like that they're always sharing their opinion, regardless of what people may think about that instead of how I've done some things in the past, like rolling my eyes thinking this individual always has something to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My eyes never roll harder than when my mom calls me and is asking me technology questions from hundreds of miles away. How do I turn my internet on? This isn't working for some reason. I was going to say, my Wi-Fi is not working. Oh my gosh. But even in those situations, like it's my own parents and I am almost ageist and I should really kind of like respect the fact that they're comfortable enough to ask Mm -hmm. for help. That leads us perfectly into kind of one of our closing thoughts and ideas just in terms of how do we kind of receive feedback or be more open just in general. Um, So like throughout this whole conversation, it stems from like, let's just look at people as humans, right? And be open to what they have to say and um, make sure that we're treating them as such. Do you want to add on to that in any way in terms of like how we continue to support one another throughout biases and microaggressions in the world? Yeah, um, I would just say that nobody's perfect. So um, Mm -hmm. just be conscious of that. Like most, more often than not, someone is not intending to hurt your feelings Mm -hmm. and you're not intending to hurt theirs. So if you can get to a place where um, you can just be really vulnerable with the people around you, I think that's where the most progress comes from. And it's, you know, nobody's ever going to be perfect. So this is going to be a battle we're going to fight you know forever hopefully it gets better obviously but um you know as you i think as you um mm-hmm. get more comfortable being uncomfortable no that's a great point it gets a lot easier and i think just in closing because this this isn't like an easy conversation by any means um just like a little note to people out there uh to add to liz's point about nobody is perfect let's just continuously remind ourselves to be a bit more mindful in our interactions with people. Um, We all make mistakes. And when we do use microaggressions, like let's make sure that we're open to feedback and how we can continuously be better people in the future. Um, You know, it's, it's an evolving process, this thing called life. So let's just make sure we're, we're moving in the right direction and and not in a negative one. Thanks, Karen. And with that, Thank you, Liz, for joining us so much and giving us a little bit of insight into your world and your experiences with microaggressions. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.